But his messages were never Pentecostal. His messages were always gospel. So when you heard Rex Humbard preach a message, it was always a gospel message on salvation. But also in his service, uh, he had a time where he invited people to come up for healing. And he would just pray for them. And it was very impressive. And uh, this psalm, therefore, sort of stuck in my heart where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then Rex would just quote this. He would then say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives your iniquities and heals all your diseases. And then he would pray for people. It was very impressive. So this week when I was looking through this psalm, I was thinking back on that, especially this area of healing, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You'll notice in the superscription, it's called a Psalm of David. We think that it was written uh, when David was uh, in his later years, and it's based on a lifetime, an accumulation, I guess a lifetime of accumulating wisdom, and he takes his accumulated wisdom and he puts it in this psalm. And uh, so it's a very interesting psalm. So I want you to think of this psalm as a song composed late in David's life where he puts you know, a lifelong accumulation of wisdom in this text. Okay? So here's how we're going to outline. We're going to divide it into three parts. Verses 1 through 5, he reminds himself to praise the Lord. And you're going to see how he reminds himself to praise the Lord. That's part one. Part two, verses 6 through 19, he gives the basis for praising the Lord. And then, verses 20 through 22, he calls on all of creation to praise the Lord. So I think you're going to enjoy this. So let's look how he reminds himself to praise the Lord. So look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now when he says bless the Lord, he's talking about praise the Lord. Okay, That's what he's talking about. Praise the Lord in a sense in song. Now, he says also, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Literally, it reads, if you're reading it in the Hebrew text, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless him with my entrails. That basically means from the depths of my being, the Jewish people believed, we always say, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart. We think that the heart is the, is the center of emotions and compassion or passion. But the Jews believed that the liver was the center of emotion and passion. So what, what it really says is, bless the Lord, O my soul, and from my entrails. But it basically means from the depths of my being or with every fiber of my being, uh, sort of like water that flows forth from an artesian well. It just never stops flowing. It constantly comes up. It doesn't have to be forced. It's something that's natural and it's flowing. And so this is what he says. My soul should be pressed, praising the Lord uh, continuously. More than singing with our lips. Say. And then he says, bless, in verse 1, bless his holy name. Now, to bless the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, means the same thing as the end of verse 1, bless his holy name. God's holy name, the name that he revealed, the name that he reveals to Moses 
is Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is translated uh, Yahweh or Jehovah. That's God's redemptive name. That's his revealed name. If God did not reveal his name as Jehovah or Yahweh, Lord, in all caps in our English translation, no one would have known God in that way. That is a revelation of God and what he's like. This represents his entire character that he reveals to us. So, he says that we are to praise God as the one who is the Redeemer. The Lord God who is the Redeemer. Okay? Praise his holy name. And look at verse 2. He says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It says basically the same thing as one, line one. And now, it advances the thought a little bit. And forget not his benefits. This is the basis for praising the Lord. We praise Him because of what He has done in the past. Forget not, meaning what He's done in the past, His benefits. We praise Him because He has done things that benefit us in the past. And uh, this is important that we remember that God, and this is what David would be saying, you need to remember that God made a contract with the nation of Israel. And we call this a covenant. And when you enter into the covenant with God, if you keep your end of the bargain, he provides you with benefits. And throughout history, God has benefited Israel. And they should be praising him. And the only reason we don't praise God, I'm convinced, is we forget what he's done for us in the past. If you never forget what he's done for you in the past, the praise will always be on your lips. So he is having to remind himself not to forget God's benefits. Okay. Now look at the benefits. So now we're going to have five benefits that we should never forget. Okay? They should always be at the forefront of our thinking. Each one of these benefits begins with the word who. It represents the Lord. Number first benefit. God who forgives our Iniquities. The first benefit is that God pardons us from our sin. He releases us from the guilt of our sin. He cleanses our soul. Okay. Now what does it say? Who forgives how many of our iniquities? All of our iniquities. What kind of our iniquities? Some? All. Every kind and both in quality and in quantity. He forgives every one of our sins. If we remember that, we will continually praise the Lord. Now look at who number two, which is found in verse three. <clears throat> Into verse three. Who heals all your diseases. How many? All without exception. What kind? All without distinction. Now this is an amazing thing to me. David says that God continually heals our diseases without exception and without distinction. Well, what would those, what kind of healings did he, did he, uh, did he perform in the Old Testament? Did he heal lepers? He heals leprosy. We can't heal leprosy. We can treat leprosy, but we can't heal leprosy. God heals leprosy. Can God heal cancer? Yes, he can heal cancer. He can heal every disease. He can heal a, a headache. Now, 
The thing is that notice the healing comes after the forgiveness. Do you see that? Verse, what's it, verse 2. Who forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. Now I believe that God can and does at times heal every kind of disease no matter what the circumstances. But especially if the sickness or disease is the result of sin in a person's life. When they get the forgiveness of the sin, which is the cause of the disease, then the effect leaves. So there are some sins that we can, there are, there are some sicknesses that we get are the, which are the result of sin in our life. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking to the church who is abusing the Lord's Supper. Some are coming in and they're getting drunk on the wine and they're eating all the food and others are coming in late and don't get anything. And there's this proud spirit there and he says, for this reason, some among you are weak because of that sin. Some of you are sick and some of you have even died. There's a sickness and a death that's the result of sin. That's why I'm convinced that whenever we get sick, and whenever we're put on our back, the first thing we should do is examine our lives and determine whether that sickness is a result of some sin in our life. I remember when I was thrown into the hospital in 1988. They thought I was having a heart attack. I was in Baylor Hospital for three days. I remember lying on my back, and the first thing I began to do was just examine my life. And I thought of every sin I'd ever committed in my entire life, I can tell you that. Because they told me, you know, most likely I was going to have, you know, a catheterization, and probably right from there they're going to take me into the operating room and do open heart surgery. That's what they told me. One nurse looked at my chart, she said, I've never seen a chart this big. That's what she said. Well, I walked out of there on Monday. And they said, well, they were all just false positive tests. And we're talking about all kinds of imaging tests, and catheterization, every kind of test that you can think of. Now, I don't know whether I really was sick. And it was a result of sin. But I know one thing. I confessed every sin I ever committed in my life. But I walked out of there. So here he says, God heals our sickness. Now, look, this is the Old Testament. This is the thing that blows my mind. If God healed every sickness, all sicknesses in the Old Testament, do we think he should be doing less in New Testament times? Why, are we, why do we have such doubt? Why do we have such lack of faith? I don't understand that. We should have the New Covenant is greater than the Old Covenant, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if we don't get healed today and they got healed in the Old Testament, guess what? I would, I would venture to say the Old Covenant's better than the New Covenant. But the Bible doesn't say that. So I always want to emphasize hope. And I always want to emphasize faith. I believe God can and will heal. And that's why I pray for people on Sunday morning. I don't know if my prayers are going to be answered, but guess what? I'm going to pray anyway. Why? Because that's what the scripture says to do. Any sick among you, let them call upon the elders of the church and let them pray. So I believe that. And Paul says, or, or David says, if you just think back on what God's done in the past, praise will be on your lips continually. Now look at the third who, found in verse 4. 
who redeems your life from destruction, which simply means who rescues you from destruction or from death. Think about David. If he thought back on his life, he might think of how God uh, rescued him from uh, Saul's javelin when he threw the javelin at him. God rescued him. Think, think about that. That'll cause you to praise the Lord. David from the lion's den. I remember going down the road one time when I was living in Maryland, speeding down this road. It was raining outside in my car hydroplane. And, I, and there was a big ledge. It was right near Random House Publishing. That much I remember. And it was at night. And I was just, the car just started going right over toward the edge. And all of a sudden, and I just knew that was the end. And I said, here I come, Lord. You know? And it was just like some invisible force put two hands on the side of the car and just pushed it back. And I knew it wasn't me. So I know that God delivered me in that situation. So here he says he delivers us from death, from, from disaster, from danger. He did that many times with the nation of Israel. Look at who number four, right in the middle of verse four. Who crowns you with loving kindness. He honors you with loving kindness and tender mercies. God has compassion on you. We often think God, God doesn't like us. God loves us. He loves us more than we can imagine. He has compassion on us. He's kind toward us. He doesn't give us what we deserve, punishment. He gives us grace. He gives us kindness. He gives us mercy because He loves us. That's how we need to see God. Look at verse 5, the last who there. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Now, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean that after you're sick, you get better, and now your appetite comes back? Is that what it means? Or does it mean, maybe we're supposed to see this in a metaphorical way, is that uh, uh, God gives you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you a life that's full, you know, and he has given you a life that's full. Uh, maybe it means that he'll satisfy your mouth with good things. When God takes Israel out of Egypt, does He provide them with food? He provides everything, doesn't He? They don't have to worry. God is our provider. So anyway, these are benefits that we should be thinking on. And that would cause us to bless the Lord with every ounce of our being. Now what's the purpose of all this? Look at the end of verse 5. So that He's done all these things. He's given us these benefits. So that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. The reason for giving you the benefits is so that your youth <coughs> is renewed like the eagle's. In other words, he does this to give you a new lease on life. To rejuvenate you. To make you feel young again. Notice youth like an eagle's. What in the world does he mean? Why does he throw an eagle in there? What David is describing here is the molting process that an eagle goes through where he loses his feathers, his plumes. For the first five years of an eagle's life, which is very interesting, he starts losing all these certain, each year he loses a different kind of feather. And then he gets a whole new group of feathers that makes him stronger and youthful. And then after that, every year he goes through that molting process and all of his feathers 
are replaced. Just like our skin falls off with the new skin, you know, that's, and he is saying, you know what? God has given you all these benefits because he wants you, your life to be renewed. He wants you to stay young. And you can be 90 years old and be young. You know that? What does it say about Moses? It says, when Moses died, it says, his eyes weren't even dim. Well, my eyes are dim, aren't they? Yeah, my hearing's bad. Look at this. Notice that he wants to renew our strength, see, like an eagle. So, this is the, he reminds himself to praise the Lord based on that. Okay? Now look at verse 6. We come to the second section. And what he does here is he reviews God's covenant. Okay? So watch what he does. He says this. The Lord executes righteousness. He acts right. And he executes justice for all who are what? Oppressed. He, on the behalf of the oppressed people, he <coughs> intervenes. Now, the oppressed people were the people in Israel who were poor. The people who were disenfranchised. The people who were widows. The people who were orphans. The foreigners in the midst who had no rights. All these were the oppressed people. And notice what God does. He executes or acts on their behalf righteousness and justice. He does right by them. See, he, in a sense, uh, doesn't leave them to defend or defend for themselves. He provides them food. He provides them shelter. He provides them debt relief. That's what God does for the oppressed people. He provides them food. He provides them shelter. He provides them debt relief. Now... <clears throat> An example is found in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses. This isn't something new. He let Moses know about it when he gave Moses the law. He acts his acts to the children of Israel. So Moses knew about this. God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, a miracle. He takes them to Sinai, and at Sinai he establishes a covenant. Everything in the Old Testament is based on the covenant. Everything in the New Testament is based on the covenant. There are two covenants. There's the Old Covenant, and guess what? <laughs> There's the New Covenant. The Old Covenant that he makes with Moses, the New Covenant that he makes through Jesus Christ. And he brings Israel to Mount Sinai, and he establishes a covenant with them. And in this covenant, there are regulations regarding social justice. In other words... You must make sure that people who are disenfranchised and marginalized, when they go to court, they get a fair deal. The judge doesn't favor the rich. The judge doesn't favor the elite. He wanted to make sure that the poor got to eat, even though they didn't have food to eat. So he would tell somebody who was a farmer, you need to leave the corners of your field unharvested so that the poor can go there and pick the corn and have something to eat. God provided for the poor. And that's just, that's what the old covenant is all about. 
If you owned land and your crops didn't come up and you owed bills and the one you owed money to said, well, you owe me this money, you can't pay me, you give me your land, you would have to turn the land over to that person. And now that person had your land. But what did God require? At the end of seven years, what happened? It had to go back. All debt was canceled out. God made sure that no one ended up totally poor all the time. So this is what he says. He executes righteousness in verse 6 and justice for all who were oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of God. In other words, God made provisions for the poor and Israel was to carry it out. So even though there were God's provisions, Israel was to carry it out. Now look at verse 8. God is merciful and gracious. I'm glad of that. Slow to anger. Look, slow to anger. Abounding in mercy. He's patient with us. He's kind with us. He forgives us. How many times does he forgive us? One time? Seven times? What? Seventy times seven. Which simply means a lot of times. It means unlimited times. We're not to take it literally. He's constantly forgiving. He's kind towards us. He's patient toward us. He's gracious toward us. All those things. Look at verse 9. That's all part of the Old Covenant. God said, look, if you sin, yes, you do need to pay for your sin, but if you ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. He said, yes, if you don't ask for forgiveness, I'm going to stay angry at you, but I won't stay angry at you forever. I'll get you to the point where you'll ask for forgiveness. You know? He will bring them to that point. Look at verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Even when we do bad things, his anger and his punishment is limited. And that's really important. Even when Israel turns its back on God, and he punishes them, he limits the punishment to 70 years. And I mean, they turn totally away. We're not talking about just not having a little bit of faith. They turn totally away from God, and they turned and began to serve idols. That would like you right now becoming a Hindu and serving all the gods of Hinduism, and you rejected Christianity. You know, I think that if that would happen, I'd say, well, God, you know, if I were God, well, you're just going to hell, right? But guess what God does? He brings them to their knees to the point where by the end of the 70 years they're crying out for mercy. And guess what God does? He forgives that nation. He brings those who are faithful back to him, who cry out for mercy back to him. So he doesn't stay angry long. He forgives and he forgets. It's the most important thing. We need to realize that some of us think God's always angry at us. We grew up in a church in an era when all they preached was God is angry at us. God is mean. God is, you know, wants to punish you. It was always the threat. There was always a threat hanging over your head. Look what Paul, look, look what, I would say Paul, because David sounds like Paul. Look what David said. Is that what it sounds like? God's angry at you. God's gonna, you're going to go to hell. Is that what it sounds like? What does it sound like? God wants to forgive you. God loves you. God's compassionate on you. He's always reaching out. If we don't reach out to him, then that's our fault, because he's always reaching out toward us. Look at verse 10. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Because if he did that, I'd be in hell right now, wouldn't you? You know, one sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. 
So when I sin, what do I deserve immediately? Death. Is that what he does? No, he doesn't do that. He's gracious. He's always giving us time. That's where his patience comes in. See? God's slow to anger. He wants to give us time to repent. Why does he do that? Look at verse 11. For as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward all those that fear him. See, two things there, notice. God doesn't judge us according to our sins or punish us according to our, our iniquities. Why not? Because, verse 11, 4. And he says, as, you see that? As. He's going to give us a comparison. What's God like? What's his mercy like? Look. As the heavens are high above the earth, so is his mercy towards us. That's how, how, how great is his mercy? Well, look up in the sky. How high is it up there? Uh, how high can you look up? I don't know. How high is that? Is that 20 miles, 50 miles, 1,000 miles, a light year away? How high is that? That's how great his mercy is for you. Second thing you notice, those that fear him. Do you see that? Who fears God? It's his people that fear him. Do the Hittites, Jebusites? No, they haven't turned to God in fear. They haven't repented. <coughs> It's to his people, those that respect him and honor him and fear him. That's who he, his mercy is shown toward. Look at verse 12. Now another comparison. As east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, how far is the east from the west? I'm going to put a plane out here. Here's a flat plane. Okay? And one direction is the east, the other direction is the west. How far does east go and how far does west go on that plane? Does it go on forever and ever? We call it infinity, don't we? It goes on. That's how far God removes your sins from you. So when he forgives your sins, how far are they removed from you? They are gone forever. They're out of sight. See, David is showing us how great God is toward those who are part of this covenant, that this covenant that he has with us. You can't be removed any further than east is from the west. See? So he's using all this language, this picturesque language, so we'll, we will realize this. Look at verse 13. Another comparison. This is Father's Day. This is a great comparison. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. There's the second time fear is used, and there's the third time as is used. As a father pities his children, his compassion on his children. So, God pities those who fear him. God doesn't require from his children a pound of flesh. It hurts him when he sees us fail. It doesn't please God when he sees us fail. He realizes we're very vulnerable, you know. And uh, it breaks his heart when he sees us straying away from him. He doesn't say, okay, now I'll get him. You know. Pastor was talking this morning. He said, you know, he's going to talk about the parable of lost son, lost coin, and you know, the prodigal son. What happens when the prodigal son goes, strays away? What does the father do? He's always grieving. He's looking out for him when he sees the son far off. Does he wait till the kid comes back and says, well, I've been waiting for you? What does he do? Run he runs out, you see. That's how David sees God. He's like a father who... He jumps out, you know, and he's ready to meet us even before we reach him. 
He doesn't delight when we fail. Yeah. Does he get angry with us? Yes. But he's, it doesn't last long. I'll tell you what lasts long. His grace lasts long. His love lasts long. He reaches out to us. His anger is tempered by love. Reason for all this, look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He knows what we're like, what we're made of. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're mortal beings. He doesn't expect us to be angels. We're frail. We're not angels. He didn't create us angels that never get sick. An angel can take on a whole army by himself. He creates us out of dust. He knows we're dust. He knows we're frail. He knows that we're mortal. He takes that all into account. He made us this way. And you know why he made us this way? So we forced him. That's why we're made frail. So that we're forced to depend on him. And so we have people that are sick. And you know, the doctors have done as much as they can. And what are we doing? Who are we crying out to? Crying out to the Lord. We can't heal ourselves. We're weak, and so we're forced to depend upon him. He wants us to depend upon him. Now he describes our frailty in verse 15. As for man, let me show you how frail he is. His days are like grass. Well, I know what grass is. I mowed my grass the other day. You know? How long did that grass last? A week? Now it's mowed down just like that. Or, if I don't water the grass during this, these 100 degree days in Texas, what's going to happen to that grass? It's going to die. Here one day, gone the next. He says, we are like grass. That's about as strong as we are. See, he's describing our frailty in verse 15. His days are like grass. Now look at the next part of verse 15. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Well, how long does a flower furnish, flourish in a field? doesn't flourish too long, you know. Annuals flourish <laughs> once a year, and then they're gone. And perennials, you know, even that, when the winter comes, you know, they're gone. So you just, it's in season. They flourish in season. We have a season of flourishing, and then we're gone. That's what he's saying there. Look at verse 16. For the wind passes over it, like over the flower. And guess what? It's gone. See? Big wind, 50 mile an hour wind comes across the plains of Texas, and guess what? Breaks the stem and on just like that. Wind comes across my yard, and guess what? Petals are flying off. The next day I go out and I look, and there are petals all on the ground. That's how frail we are, you know. Just the wind comes, you know, and it's just gone with the wind, you know. That, that. <laughs> the second week in a row, I don't <laughs> And then look at the end of verse 16. And its place remembers no more. You know, I don't remember the grass from last week, really. You know, it's gone. I want to see the next grass. But the old grass, you forget about that grass. The old flower, its stem's broken. Guess what? New flower comes. You forget about the old flower. So that's what happens. And we're here one day and we're gone the next. That's basically what it is. We're forgotten. That's how frail we are. By contrast, look at God, verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord, Yahweh, is from everlasting 
to everlasting. It never ends. That's a difference, isn't it? On those who fear him. Third time that's mentioned, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 17. That's a common denominator. If you're in the covenant, God will honor the covenant. and He won't just honor it one time and then forget about you the next time. He will continue to honor his covenant and keep his agreement with you. You just need to realize that that's what he will do. Look at the end of verse 17. And his righteousness, the children's children. His covenant will extend for generations. The old covenant extended for generations. The new covenant extends for generations. If he healed people in the first century, I'm going to guarantee you something. He'll heal them in the 21st century. Amen. Children of faith, he'll heal you as well as he healed your poor body. Look at verse 18. Ah, here's the caveat. To such as what? Keep his covenant. And to those who remember his commandments to do them. This is why it's important that we don't forget. <laughs> we don't forget the covenant. We don't forget his benefits. They're only for those who keep the covenants and don't forget, verse 18, they remember to do his commandments. That's why it's, remember, it's important to study the scriptures. It's important to memorize scriptures. It's important to memorize and know God's word. So all these benefits are ours. Now, let me just show you something. The blessings and the cursings that come with the covenant are found in the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to turn over there just for a second. Okay? As far as I'm concerned, Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29 are probably the most important of the Old Testament chapters. For us, because what they do is they explain the benefits of the covenant for those who obey the covenant, and they describe the cursings or the punishment for those who do not obey the covenant. So I just wanted to show this to you. I think we've done this once, maybe in 15 years, but I thought maybe I'd show you this little section here, just so you can see it. Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 27, and uh, I'm just going to point out a couple verses, and I hope that this will stimulate your thinking and your imagination that you want to go back, and interest that you want to go back and read it this afternoon. So Deuteronomy 27, he's brought the people of Israel out of bondage, and he makes this agreement with them, a contract with them. Look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. Okay. They're to keep them all. Right before they go into the promised land, they are re, uh, rehearsed. Okay, So keep them all. Look down to verse 10. Therefore you shall obey the voice of your Lord and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you. Okay. So now we're told that they are to keep these commandments. If they break the commandments, if they break the covenant... Look down, for example, verse 15. Cursed is the one who makes a carved and molded image. An abomination. That person is going to be cursed because in the agreement you say you will not do that. But if you do it, you're going to be cursed. Look at this, verse 16. Cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt. So that's what happens when you break the covenant. Cursed, punished. Look at 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landlord. That means moves the boundary lines over a foot. 
tried to steal some of his neighbor's land without the neighbor knowing it. Cursed is the one, and all the people there, by the way, say, look at this. Amen. They said, Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. We won't do that. Amen. Oh, yeah. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. All the people said, Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not going to show you this, but you can see all the curses there, can't you, down there? 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. In between, you can see what else they say, don't you? Look at 15. Amen. 20. Amen. 21. Amen. Look at 22. Amen. 23. Amen. 23. Amen. <coughs> Some of the people said amen. No. All the people said amen. <coughs> now look at 28. Chapter 28. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. In other words, keep this covenant. To observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today that the Lord your God shall set above you. The Lord will set you above all the nations. And these are the blessings that shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord. Blessed are, look at verse 4. Blessed are, look at verse 5. Blessed are, look at verse 6. Blessed are, all these blessings that goes right on down. Then you get to verse 15, he goes back. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and the statutes which I command you to this day. All these curses will come upon you. Cursed are you, verse 16. Cursed are you, verse 18, 17. Cursed are you. It's curse, 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 curse. Now look over at chapter 29. Just to show you this. Verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. So, here is, this is the covenant. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among the nations where your God drives you. So here he sees the cursings and the blessings again. And then look at verse 19. Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. So here we see this is the cursing and blessing chapters in the Old Testament connected with the covenant. This is what Psalm 103 is all about. Blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is the person. Blessed, blessed. God blesses this person, the ones who fear him, the ones who are in his covenant. Does that make sense? You know, go back to Psalm 103. <laughs> All Old Testament. How much more the New Testament? Should we, we should be thinking this way. Now look down at verse 19. 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. Established means he's fixed his throne in heaven. He'll never be deposed. We don't even know he's king, but he is king. That's what we need to tell him. And his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom is a universal kingdom. So, this is the message. That God is on his throne and he rules the universe whether people realize it or not. Most people don't realize it. This is what Jesus came to tell them. Jesus came and he preached the kingdom of God. 
at hand. John the Baptist preaches, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The apostles went out and preached, the kingdom of God is at hand. See, this is the message they preach. And with this kingdom, there is blessings and there are curses. So in light of this, what should we do? Look at verse 20. First of all, David says, bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength and do his word, feeding the voice of the Lord. You should praise the Lord, he says, that all the angels of the universe, since God rules the whole universe, all the angels of the universe should praise God. He calls them to praise God. And then he says in verse 21, Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. These are the heavenly hosts. These are the angelic armies who come down and do God's will on earth. He calls the armies of heaven to that's a different than the seraphim and the cherubim who is around God's throne. These are sort of warriors, angels. He tells them to bless or praise the Lord. And then look at verse 22. Bless the Lord all you works. These are the works of his creation. The works of God's hands. Uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, if you don't praise me, the God will cause the rocks to praise me. The works of his hands. Inanimate objects and animate objects. All creation should praise the Lord. And then he says this, in light of all these blessings, in light of the covenant, in all, he says, bless the Lord all of his works and all of his places of his dominion. Universal should be universal praise. And then he ends it with, bless the Lord, O my soul. So here he's calling all of creation to praise the Lord based on this covenant that God has made with you. Humanity. This is our vocation. This is what we should be doing. We should be praising the Lord. Everybody should be praising the Lord. I was thinking the other day when I was working on this, that Coke commercial came out years ago. You know, I'd like to teach. Yeah. And when, when you see that picture, you see Asians, you see blacks, you see whites, you Males, your females. Guess what? That's a co-commercial. You know why we all love it? Because the universe yearns for peace. The universe yearns for unity. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. There's going to come a time when, guess what? We're all going to be singing in unity, praising the Lord. That's what David's calling them to. I'd like to build the world at home. You know, that's the second stance. And furnish it with love. Yeah. Grow. Apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. Yeah. yeah, I'm convinced that this is I'm convinced that this is what the universe longs for. Whenever you have like a presidential candidate that comes along and offers hope and, and you know, awakens the imaginations of the American people, you know that person's gonna win the election. We don't have anybody like that right now, do we? I don't know who's gonna win, but but when you have that kind of person, it just who, who awakens the imagination of people, that's the kind of person Jesus was. And that's what David is calling us to do. He's calling us to praise the Lord. Think back on his covenant, his agreement with us, and the benefits that he's given us. And guess what? This isn't temporary. There's going to come a time when Christ returns to earth. And guess what? It's all going to be inspired. And we'll have all the benefits. And David says, you know, you can start praising the Lord right now. 
You don't have to wait. You just have to start having a more positive attitude with God's life, God's forgiveness, God's benefits toward us. And if you keep that in your mind, praise will always be on your lips. Next week we'll do Psalm 104. Lord, we thank you for your word. You are a wonderful Heavenly Father. We thank you for this verse, that you pity us as a father pities, pities his child. You don't expect a little leaguer to hit like a major leaguer. That's not how that child is created at that time. Oh, Lord, help us to realize that you are a God who is kind to us. You are a God who... As him and Jesus puts his arms around us and accepts us as sinners, brings us into the fold, loves us into submission. Lord, may we reflect that kind of attitude toward people out there who are lost. May many people come to Christ because they see that winsome, loving, kind, generous, gracious spirit in their life. We want to be the kind of people, Lord, who attract people to you. Not point at and say, I don't want to be like that. Oh, Lord, help us be positive witnesses for Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.